dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. My co-host today, as always, is Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how are you? I'm making it, man. I'm doing well. It's always a highlight of my week to sit down with you and Bo in the studio and record this episode. So always a highlight of my week. Likewise, we hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. We hope you're enjoying some of the interviews that we've done recently and also that you are subscribed on iTunes and on the Satchel app as well. Um, we also want you guys to continue to reach out to us. You can tweet us at underscore pass the mic. We're getting some great feedback from people who include us in our in, in their tweets, um, who retweet some of our content and also who private message us as well. So we see all those. We really appreciate them. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast and please continue to do so. And also go on iTunes, rate us, review us. That's just very important. That helps get the word out to more people. The third diverse podcast available in the evangelical spectrum. So, Jamar, first off, I want to, before we get into your really great article about the Oscars, the Academy Awards and all that, um, it, which if you guys didn't know, Jamar is a pretty big deal in the evangelical world. Um, he's a great writer. I'm not just saying that facetiously. He's a great writer and speaker. And you should follow him on Twitter as well. Jamar, what's your Twitter handle? At Jamar Tisby. Pretty straightforward, right? Yep. And if you want to follow me too, do so at your own risk, at Burns23. <laughs> I'll tweet a little bit of Kanye, a little bit of theology. I'll you never above. know what you're going to get, but it's always spicy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but on a more serious note, basically there's a situation that's going on in Flint, Michigan. And if you guys are hip to the news, you have heard about it and you've heard about just basically a fiasco of water contamination, a crisis that's going on in the city of Flint where the, the, I believe it's 102,000 residents in that city uh, have been exposed to contaminated water. And let me run down a little bit of the timeline for people who may be unaware or unfamiliar with what's going on. Um, in April of 2014, in an effort to save, I believe it was, somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 million, Flint shifted its water supply and started drawing its water from the Flint River instead of relying on water from Detroit. And they were, it was supposed to be a temporary thing. And they talked about some of the health concerns that may happen. Uh, but then the immediately soon after that, the residents started complaining. In the summer, just a few months later, there were boil water advisories that were issued um, in 22 days after positive tests for bacteria. Um, in October of 2014, now this is 2014, not 2015, a few months ago. This is 2014. A General Motors engine plant actually stopped using the Flint water, just saying that it rusts parts. Um, so that's a huge thing right there. So the water was rusting the parts. And so General Motors said, we're not even using it anymore. Let's fast forward to February of 2015. A 40-member advisory committee is formed to address the concerns over Flint's water. Uh, the mayor at the time, Dane Walling, said that the committee was ensuring that the community would be involved in the issue. In March 27th, just a few months later, or actually the next month, the Flint officials say that the quality of its water has improved and that testing finds the water meets all state and federal standards for safety. Very important. In February of 2015, last year, about a year ago um, at the time of this recording, they said that it met all the state and federal regulations. However, in September 29th, 
Governor Rick Snyder pledges to take action in response to lead levels. But lead levels were astronomically high. So you've got between 6,000 to 12,000 residents that have severely high levels of lead in the blood and are experiencing a range of serious health problems. We talk about Legionnaire's disease, which has claimed 10 people's lives and affected another 77. We're talking about, obviously, the lead poisoning. We're talking about the inability to use basic water supply. In January 5th of this year, last month, um, this, the governor declares a state of emergency in the city. Basically, it's you know, we have tons of children who are affected. Um, we have basic day-to-day activities that are interrupted. We have uh, a myriad of health concerns, and it, it's basically a mess. And the, the overwhelming thing that I feel, Jamar, is grief. Grief when you see the water pipes that are being used. Grief when you see the color of the water. I mean, literally brown water coming out of sinks and faucets. What were your thoughts in hearing about this and and what has been some of the reaction that you've seen? Well, I think the big aspect of the Flint, Michigan water crisis is precisely who it's affecting uh, because it's not affecting all people equally or the argument is that if it were a different demographic, uh, both racially and economically, this never would have happened. So there's this huge racial component in that there were all these warning signs leading up to the crisis that has now made national headlines where things could have been stopped. The process could have been interrupted long ago without all of these horrible health effects and consequences. But since it was people who didn't have a lot of money, since they were generally African-American, the 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 sort of perception or suspicion is that uh, people were less urgent. The powers that be acted uh, less quickly than they might have in other cases with more enfranchised people, a more central demographic. So I think right. that's why we're bringing it up on this show. In addition to the just general humanitarian crisis that it is, I mean, this is 21st century America. How can these things be happening? But on top of that, we're talking about deliberate decisions about a certain zip code and a certain demographic of people that le- that put them in a very dangerous, lethal situation dealing with water. I mean, we're talking yeah. about basic services like water, and I think it's simply illustrative of what we often try to explain, which is that you don't need to be personally racist or personally biased against any person or group of people, but that an entire system, the way it works and the way it's constructed, can continually disadvantage certain groups. So not everybody agrees with that, obviously, even in this crisis, but you you follow the paper trail that you've laid out and that so many others have, and you at least have to ask the question. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, and just if people are wondering, Flint is 57% black. Um, so 57% black, 37% white. And by the way, and, to, to put that in context, most people say the tipping point is about 40% when, when mm-hmm. so-called white flight just really takes off. Once a city or a school or so reaches around 40%, that's when it really starts to flip rapidly. So Flint's beyond exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the things that you see. And you've probably observed that as well in Jackson, correct? Woo! Jackson. (laughs) I always say this. You've heard me say it before. Jackson is 80 percent African-American, which is the second highest proportion of any city in the U.S. over 100,000 people. Which is crazy. And having been to Jackson a few times, 
it's crazy to see that. It's it's something you don't really realize until you go out into the city and then you see the saturation and the differences in a place like Pensacola, which is, I believe, we're about 27, 28 percent black, um, which is is pretty high compared to the national average, but still nothing like 57 percent in Flint or 80 percent in, in Jackson. In, in terms of the environmental racism that some people are are pointing out, one of the representatives and one of the congressmen says that, you know, the same thing that you're saying, Jamar, can be present. And it's not necessarily that it has to be intentional animus and intentional malicious action, but that is just implicit bias. Mm. And that certain cities and certain people groups and certain communities just kind of get the cold shoulder or get a hesitated response from people. I mean, at the, at the first, I mean, this is in 2014, at the first sign that there are rashes being developed, that there are... Um, health concerns, that people are getting sick from the water. Why was this prolonged? I think that's the question is, why was this prolonged? And, and someone said that a $15 million attempt to save $15 million will now probably take $1.5 billion oh. to, to clean up. Wow. So, so the exponential increase of cost, because simply people didn't pay attention to the concerns of residents. And um, I, I think it's a shame. And I think we have to take this as an issue that matters as far as not just the image of God, but basic gospel character. You know, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to care for our neighbors. And so we don't want to just be a podcast that bloviates about the problems that exist within a certain city or or certain people group. We also want to point you in the right direction for places to help. There are plenty of places online that you can actually donate water um, that you can actually reach out to people who are on the ground in Flint, whether that's the Salvation Army, the United Way, the Red Cross, whoever you want, you feel comfortable giving to, please do so. There are also GoFundMe campaigns as well for the Flint uh, water study so that, that the, the water can actually be studied. We can actually ascertain what the problem is. And I think, you know, and, and you can chime in here, Jamar. I think it's important for us to find tangible ways to be the hands and feet of the gospel. So if there's a way that we can give, if there's a way that we can be on the ground, I think so many of the topics that we talk about are, are ideological and they don't have like actionable steps. Well, this is one where we know people need water and people need clean water now. They need it yesterday. They needed it two years ago. So I think that's something that the church can step in and, and provide. That's good. This this actually struck me as, a, as a, an extremely... Uh, actionable kind of uh, scenario where Christians and just citizens of, of of all kinds can get involved. I'm I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. Even some of the students uh, that that I serve at at the middle school, uh, maybe we can collect water, you know, and get children involved in in these kinds of efforts and and help them to think more broadly than just themselves or just their own community. Uh, right. Tugaloo College, which is a local historically black college, they're collecting collecting water and it would be fantastic to you know assist a local HBCU in assisting folks in Flint Michigan and I just you know the, the opportunity that God gives us in these scenarios is uh, to come together as uh, a human community and a human family and to work to alleviate hardship for other people so uh, yeah we definitely you know I'm, I'm trying to hold myself accountable there's really no excuse not to get involved uh, in relief here. Yeah. And just as an added uh, you know, impetus, an added motivation, a, a reminder for us, I want to read briefly from Matthew 25. 
um, verse 34, starting in verse 34, and read a few verses here. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you in a stranger as you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Verse 39. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's just a helpful reminder for us that we will be held accountable for how we treat our neighbors. So if there's anyone who's listening, maybe you have family members in the Flint area or maybe you yourself are in the Flint area. If you are a church in that area or if you have any sort of connection there, you know the best way that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Please contact us, contact Rand Network, tweet at either one of us, tweet at the Pastor Mike link um, and leave a comment even in the actual web post. Let us know how we can be tangible to you. We don't just want our, our thoughts and our prayers to go out to you while you're thirsty or while you're being poisoned or while you're sick. If there's any way that we can help, please let us know Amen. on behalf of the entire Pass the Mic and Rand family. Amen. So there's also some other things going on. As I said, Jamar's a big deal in the evangelical world. I don't know where you're getting this. Look, man, it's true. <laughs> I'm watching your followers, man. It's getting real out here. Okay. <laughs> you're getting tons of retweets, man. I'm just messing That's because I go on these random rants, usually starting <laughs> around 9 p.m., and all my better late. judgment hey, is gone. Everybody, everybody <laughs> go back and, and watch... Look on Jamar's Twitter timeline on his feed when he starts talking about the Dr. King holiday and our response to it. it, it you'll get a treat. <laughs> it's a treat. Those those 10. How many, how many tweets was it? 10, 20, 30? Yeah, it just, whatever. My <laughs> thumbs were going and I, I, it, I woke up and I was like, what happened? <laughs> nah, it was great. It was great, man. So talk to us about the article that you wrote about the hashtag Black Twitter strikes back. Uh, so white. Yeah. So we've talked about black Twitter before and, you know, it's it's not this secret shadow Twitter organization or anything. It's just a a stream of of tweets using the same hashtag, usually that mostly African-Americans pick up. So last year there was a hashtag that said Oscar so white and it was started because there were zero nominations for African-Americans in the acting categories. Now there's, you know, there's music and screenplays and production and things like that where they were represented. But as far as the big ones, you know, best actor, best actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, those kinds of ones, there was no representation. So they started the hashtag Oscar So White kind of commenting on the Academy and how uh, Hollywood still continues really to mainly recognize white people and not not even just African Americans, but but any racial or ethnic minority. Very 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 little recognition comparatively. Well, this happened last year, but it happened again this year. So for two years in a row, zero black nominees in the acting categories, and it really stands out when you think about some of the movies that were produced last year. So yeah, you've got you talked about it. You <laughs> talked about the movies that were produced last year, and then the ones that were produced this year. 
So so give us some of the examples that you gave in the article because all of these really resonated with me. Yeah, so so just this just just looking at the Oscars this year, you had a movie straight out of Compton, which is the story of NWA and really the broader story of rap and how it's producing a social commentary and really how it changed an entire musical landscape with phenomenal acting, phenomenal story. That wasn't no no actors from that were chosen. A movie you love, Tyler Creed. Uh, which is the latest installment of the Rocky movies and tells the story of Apollo Creed's son acted extremely well by Michael B. Jordan. Uh, that wasn't nominated, although Rocky sliced alone was. And even in his uh, recognition of, of his sort of acclaim, he failed to mention the director who's African-American or Michael B. Jordan, who's African-American had to come out later and apologize for, for his quote unquote oversight. Yeah. 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 Well, actually not the, what what was that? going to say the supporting actress yeah so he didn't mention the supporting actress either right so yeah it's all about sly um and then beasts of no nation and this was a, a brutal portrayal of child soldiers in in africa and um of course that was uh played you know phenomenally well by idris ilba played a the the warlord who's recruiting all these young boys and turning them into um child soldiers and that wasn't yeah. he wasn't also nominated. shout out to abraham atta too the young man oh who, man who played the 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 title role the key role um he was phenomenal and i don't know how old he is but i think he's just <laughs> 10 or 11 years old or something like that and he was I believe this was his first uh, acting role, period. And he was phenomenal and visceral and searing and and all those adjectives. So it's not for any shortage of quality films that these these men and women weren't nominated. And so Will Smith concussion too. Will Smith concussion. Yes. With a terrible accent. (laughs) but, (laughs) But a good story nonetheless. Um, and, and I think this really took off, particularly because Spike Lee, the acclaimed director, he came out with just sort of lambasting the Academy. Uh, he's, he's saying, how is it possible for the second consecutive year, all 20 contenders under the actor category are white? And let's not even get into the other branches, 40 right, white actors in two years and no flavor at all. Um, and so he's he's ticked about it. He's not going to the Oscars. And then Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, obviously her husband is Will Smith. She comes out with a very sincere personal video on that she posted on Facebook talking about why she is calling for a boycott of the Oscars until they recognize um, the contributions of African-Americans. And then she's saying things uh, beyond just not going to the Oscars. We need, as African-Americans, she's saying, to understand that we don't need anyone else to recognize us. We don't need anyone else to give us dignity. We have that power ourselves. We can recognize ourselves for the excellence in, in in the field and in the craft that we're making. So... Yeah, specifically, and just to read that quote, she says, we can no longer beg for the love, acknowledgement or respect of anyone. Begging for acknowledgement or even asking for it diminishes dignity and power. And we are dignified people and we are powerful. Let's not forget. That's exactly right. Uh, Of course, I love Snoop Dogg. (laughs) He chimed in. And, yeah, I was uh, surprised I made the article, man. You know, <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I didn't say it. I'm just Chisel, quoting it. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so he comes out and he says, man. what the F am I going to watch that bull S for? They ain't got no ends nominated. All these great movies and y'all got all this great ish. Y'all keep stealing from us. F you, F you. 
So I just think he captures kind of the raw emotion <laughs> that a lot of uh, I actors. Need, I are need feeling. that as a, as a as just a low clip. Whatever whatever you got to do, bro. <laughs> I need you to, to send me that low clip. I just want to file that away for the archives. Set, set, set that up as your ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Jamar calls. <laughs> Um, so, so there was a whole ton of, of reaction from it. And so I wrote a, a post called Evangelical So White, um, which for me, when I read it, you know, I'm not this huge movie buff. I enjoy a movie, but, but when I saw that hashtag Oscar So White and then the reaction of African Americans, I was like, huh. Now, I've felt that way before, but in church circles and among Christians, because evangelicals, and obviously that's a hugely broad term, as an aside, I don't, I still use that term, because even though it's very broad and can mean a lot of different things, it's sort of like the word reformed in Reformed African American Network. I don't want to stop using the word, I want to define it, and define it clearly in my usage, and so... I use the hashtag evangelical so white, knowing full well that it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I think it still has meaning. Um, as defined, though, by the, the Pew Research Institute, uh, evangelicals as a group are 76% white, and African Americans are only 6% of evangelicals as they defined it in their study. So however you define it, there's an overwhelming majority of whites in evangelicalism and a very small minority of blacks. So in many ways, I could relate to African-American actors and black actors because you sort of feel overlooked. Uh, You're in the midst of this majority setting. You're there on purpose. You want to be there. But at the same time, uh, this lack of representation, this lack of recognition makes you feel devalued. And at points, you're like, why am I even here? I'm not valued. I'm, I, don't, I don't get the dignity I simply deserve as a human being. And so that's when you go out and create, you know, the BET Awards in the case of the entertainment industry or the black church in the case of Christianity. It wasn't, it didn't start out that way. It happened by and large because of a failure to recognize the Imago Dei in African Americans in church circles, such that they were forced in many ways to go out and form their own churches where they could have leadership, where they could have representation, where they could be dignified, where they could uh, preach and and, uh, teach and absorb the Bible without being denigrated because of their race or class or some other category. Man, I think it's it's a crazy— correlation because I think it's so true. And and Dr. Jarvis Williams also makes that correlation as well in in his article on Rand. I would commend you to read both his and Jamar's article uh, because I think that the issue is, and I think some people have said, oh, well, it's not that bad if you take a look at representation over the past, what was it, the past 20 years, Mm -hmm. then you'll see the blacks represented the same amount in the Oscar nominations as they are in population, right? Now, that strikes me as very interesting on two different levels. Number one, because they omit the previous years of the Academy, which the the overwhelming, we've increased by hundreds of percentage points in nominations in the past 20 years because we can actually, 
I think we're I think one percent of all nominations or or a little over one percent of all nominations in the history of the Academy Awards were two blacks. Mm. Um, and then we, we're not even talking about other ethnicities because it's not just an African-American issue. Right. right. But it's also other people uh, of color. And then th- there's also other groups that have been excluded. So that's interesting on that standpoint. But then also when we're talking about this. One of the problems that people say is, well, it's not a race thing. Mm. But then if it's not a race thing, why would you make the connection about the number of people represented in a in a select country with the number of people who are represented at an award show? Because it shouldn't be a one to one. Right. It's it's for merit. So there are plenty of African-Americans. And I think this is sometimes missed is we're not comparing the amount of African-Americans who have been nominated, but we're comparing the amount of African-Americans who have been deserving and that's the issue is we're we're missing deserving candidates we're missing deserving directors and deserving writers and deserving actors and actresses because that's the issue is if we're going to make it a merit conversation then we have to get out of percentages and making one to one correlations and we have to actually think and go back and look at who should have been nominated and who should have won based on merit and if we go back based on merit if we look at this year based on merit I'll say this. Now, there's a number of different movies I wouldn't die on the hill for, right? Straight Outta Compton was a great movie. Um, It was very visceral, very gritty. Um, And and I think there were some parts of it that were really good and other parts of it that could have been done better. I'm not going to die on that hill. Some of the actors probably should have gotten some consideration, and they probably did behind closed doors. Uh, Creed was a phenomenal film, and I think it should have made the list of best best pictures for sure, nominees, and then definitely best director should have been considered. Ryan Coogler should have definitely been considered for that. But I'll tell you the biggest snub for me was Idris Elba in Beast of No Nation. I mean, he was phenomenal. And all of the predictive software and all of the predictive sites, well, I'll say most of them, 90% of them, had him as being one of the top five nominees for the year. So for him to miss, I'm trying to figure out why. But if you know, it, I'm trying to figure out where does this come from? Why Why is it that we see one performance as better than the other? And I recognize it's subjective. Right. That's what I was going to say. Where is this coming from, right? I mean, if it's if it's a meritocracy, right, and especially an awards show, it's 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 almost completely subjective. I mean, there, there are shows out there, obviously, that the quote-unquote experts and critics recognize. So so Bo's here. I'm in the studio with Bo, and he's he's just chomping at the bit to, to on, jump Bo. in. So Let's come go. on. What are, you, what are you thinking? All right. I, I got to. So first of all, the, the fact that Jamar is even talking about this is is ridiculous to me. Of course, you know, because his movie, like, what, what's the last movie you saw? Was it like <laughs> it was an Casablanca <laughs> when it came out in the theaters? That's right. <laughs> Yo, so you saying Jamar Jamar's last movie is Lawrence of Arabia? I'm That's saying I'm saying. saying that he he hasn't watched a movie and he's old. Look, <laughs> I'm when, just kidding. When you got a five year old, you watch animated movies. <laughs> Pixar is out. your place. <laughs> no, I had I had to jump in really quick and play a little bit of devil's advocate here because I mean, ahead, you know, the, on, the Oscars and the movies. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, admittedly, I'm not as big into movies as I used to be when I was younger. But I mean, I used to be a film critic. I, I was I was big into it back in the day. Wow. So, you know, first of all, from from two angles, one is, you know, you talk about Jada Pickett Smith stepping up and talking and it's great that she is giving voice to uh, an issue, kind of an overarching issue in this country in terms of, you know, looking and seeking for African-Americans to be treated with dignity, which is great that she's speaking up now, because I think a lot of a lot of African-American actors have been very and actresses have been very silent throughout the last two years 
uh, and a lot of the tensions that we've been dealing with, racial tension. Now, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm just saying that a lot of these uh, actors who are coming out of the woodwork because of the Oscars, it's kind of come home for them. To some extent, I, th- I feel like they've been a little. You mean you, you, they haven't been as vocal on other issues? Exactly. Okay. And so, I mean, I think That's interesting. there's a there is a natural tie there that can be made. But and so, I'm, I'm it's it's great to have the voice now. And and I'm not you know I'm I'm not meaning to call her out specifically, but I do think that what you see in a lot of um, the the connected tissue to the overarching conversation that has been had and, and we've had on this podcast for the last two years is just starting to kind of come home because it's starting to hit home for African-Americans in Hollywood. Um, the other thing, too, is people have been complaining and saying that, that, you know, movies have been robbed from the Oscars for ages. I mean, like, that's that's nothing new. I mean, gosh, the Lego movie didn't get the best animated film last year, and that made me so mad because that was a sure. fantastic film. And so, you know, the, the fact that, you know, that films get robbed, that, that Creed got robbed, I mean, I, I hear you on that one. That one I, in my opinion, that one should have won far more, but movies getting snubbed in the Oscars is not a new thing. And moreover, you say it's on merit, but I feel like if we don't all know this, we should, it's not on merit. It's on networking, right? People are buying those awards. And so if it, and the the problem is not necessarily, okay, they're getting snubbed because they're African-American. It's that African-American perhaps directors in the industry is not as connected to the Oscars and to the rewarding. Now that's might be a little tinfoil hat. So you, you, you yeah, know, the Illuminati, yeah, so you're huh? doing the, you're doing the, no. uh, the, the flag was waving on the moon look, and there ain't no wind in space. Look, all right. <laughs> I, I may be a little too conspiracy theory, but, but you know, to some extent that's absolutely true. And I'm not saying intentional Without Illuminati or anything like that, but I mean, just the way all this works is it's, it's all about networking. And so the disconnect there, I don't think is, is tied to merit, nor do I think that there's like an animosity, like anti-black um, uh, mindset in Hollywood. However, what we have seen, even from uh, like the Sony leaks a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. if you recall these, you know, a lot of this comes from the standpoint of the ruling class in Hollywood, which is predominantly white answers to what they see as the primary market, which they also see as white. And so from that standpoint, more white focused films do get more attention and therefore get more connected, more networking. But to say that it's tied to merit, I, I, or, or I don't know, that's, that's the way that I've, I've read it. Well, you're bringing, well, I mean, up, you're bringing up such great, great issues, but I mean, my, my main point and a lot of the focus of my research and writing today is about the fact that racism never went away. It just evolved. Racism never went away. It just went yeah. underground. And so now, you know, after we we, we, we we passed the big sort of banner laws, Civil Rights Act and, and 64 Voting Rights Act, you know, uh, once those kinds of very obvious forms of racism and discrimination uh, were, became illegal, a lot of people, black and white and across the color line said, OK, we made it. We, we, we won. The civil rights movement was victorious. Now we can move on and live our lives. Well, Clearly, that's not the case. Obviously, we're seeing all kinds of current events from, uh, you know, incidents involving unarmed African-Americans in law enforcement to uh, nominations at the Oscars that remind us again and again and again that people of color, particularly African-Americans, remain on the margins. And so I think Oscars So White reminds us or is a good illustration of the fact that, like you said, it may not be intentional. It may not be anyone sets out to snub black actors, but the networks are structured as such that the people who have the decision-making ability um, are overwhelmingly white. And and here's the way it works out. When a movie like Straight Outta Compton comes out, 
do they see it as valuable as another movie that may have a predominantly white acting cast mm-hmm. because they're not as familiar with the story uh, personally or experientially as as is being told in a film like Straight Outta Compton. And that's the way I think it plays out. I think that's what Jada Pinkett Smith is responding to. And I think that's what she's saying. Here's what I see as a Christian in a predominantly white denomination uh, and, and evangelical setting is there's always that, that little sort of doubt or question in the back of your mind, should I stay or should I go? Mm-hmm. Because staying mm-hmm. is Great so song, costly. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and sing it. Now, um, it, because staying is so costly on so many levels, it costs you with other people of color who see you as, you know, selling out or as, you know, hate the term, but Uncle Tom. Um, it costs you personally because you're in this space that doesn't recognize the value you bring. Um, or if they do recognize you, it is really about too much about your color um, and not just who you are as an individual. Right. You know, so so I, I, that's what I was sort of responding yeah. to in the article, too. Yeah, okay. yeah let, me, let me address let me address some of Bo's thoughts here. OK, so so first of all, you would say it's probably a networking issue It's probably not meritocracy but it's probably like a networking issue that networking they don't have in the social sense that. in the social sense not networks as in like broadcast networks but right. networking. No, I, know yeah, what you yeah. Mean. Yeah. I know what you mean in the networking connection sense right if that were the case though you you don't think leo would have got a, a, a an oscar by now if it's just straight off that how do we explain leonardo dicaprio not getting an oscar just so, at this point, right? So what, how do you explain Leonardo DiCaprio at, at this point? It's well, because other people are better connected. Italian and, name. I don't know. No. <laughs> no, but I'm, what, what I'm trying to figure out is... the Godfather all over again. He's one, most, he's one of the most beloved actors in Hollywood, correct? I mean, that's subjective. Okay, what he's one of the most respected? well-known. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a well-known. He's well-known. He's respected. Sure, sure. There's a lot of well-known, respected people out there who have not gotten, gotten awards. Uh, what was it? That glaringly? No, I mean, he's, he's done probably 18 movies... That could that could have been or that have been nominated in some capacity. I mean, I was just thinking about it just the other day. We were talking about this, just all the different movies that he's done from Shutter Island to The Aviator um, to The Departed to Wolf of Wall Street, which I haven't seen, by the way, Um, Titanic, Titanic, all these other movies. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. People are like, yeah, y'all watch Wolf of Wall I haven't seen it. Don't worry. Don't church it. (laughs) But what I'm saying is if it's just purely a networking issue. I'm trying to understand why he would be left out too. See, because he's you're looking at the Ronald McDonald. You're not looking at the the corporation of of McDonald's. There's a difference between the the person that's up front, like the visual representation, and then also the people behind the scenes that are actually writing his checks. Well, you know okay. I mean? Well, well, let me let me let me speak to another part then, because that's really my main part. That's really my main argument for why it's important to have nominees, is because that the visual representation of art that we as Americans accept or that we as an academy of, of you know, curated professionals and, and people who have done this for years and people who are knowledgeable experts in our field, it, it's, it's a stamp of acceptance and approval. And so not just what, what movies get nominated and what actors get nominated, but what types of movies and actors get nominated. And it kind of feeds into the next point, which is the idea that have black people really been silent about this or is the system set up to where they cannot speak freely about this mm. and expect to still have roles proliferated within the industry? Now that we have social media, I mean, it's kind of one thing you can't really stay away from it. Yeah. So you have to speak about it. But now 
there's also other opportunities we see with Nate Parker making a Nat Turner film and, and some other opportunities for better directors and, and better connected producers to get out and make those types of films that may get mass wide appeal. But before I, I get the feeling that they've wanted to speak about it and that's been something that they've spoken about before, but it's work, right? How, how do you, how do you speak about it and then basically cut off the source of your income? Now there may be some pride and arrogance in that, you know, even with the Smiths, right? People have critiqued them, you know, about the way that they're going about this. So I think there may be some pride and ignorance in that, but I think that the visual representation does matter because what we say we accept as excellent is a representation of our culture and our community. Oh, I, you know, and you know, I agree with you on that. I mean, we've talked about even back when we did our episode on kind of, you know, diversity and superheroes. I mean, that was a strong uh, driving factor there. So I agree with you. We did do an episode on comic books. We did. Yeah. It was a good one. It was a good one. Uh, but, but, you know, you, you mentioned something in terms of like finding your voice and even people who are kind of plugged in the industry and the challenge that's there. There was actually an episode, and I'm not necessarily endorsing anybody to go out and watch this, but uh, if you've seen Aziz Ansari's uh, Master of None on Netflix... Have you I've seen heard it? it's good, man, but I've not seen it. Well, again, I you know I, I, if I endure if I tell people to go out and watch, they're going to get mad because the language and everything and some of the themes that are in there. But well, a lot of the themes that are in there. But <laughs> I, will, I will say that there was an episode where uh, you know he's he's this uh, actor and he's trying to get these gigs and he got forwarded like a reply all email from the producer of this movie that he was trying to get in, or this television show that he was trying to get, and you know it was clearly an accident that he was even you know, on the reply all. And there was a, you know, a racial joke about him specifically. So he's trying to figure out how to handle this. So, all right. So he, of course, is Indian. His, his agent is black and she's like, you know, get over it. Do you know how much stuff I've had to put up with? Mm. You know, use this. That's yeah. what you need to do. And so he actually goes around and he actually has different conversations with minority individuals from the industry, from different levels of the industry. And the takeaway is like, look, you know, you could, you could create this campaign and then you'll be shut out of Hollywood forever, or you can use this to progress your own career, which is kind of ultimately what he ends up doing. Uh, mm. although it ends up backfiring cause the guy dies and anyway, it's a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> okay. Spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. Sorry. 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 <laughs> the other factor is with all of these and similar cases is there's a context that comes with it, right? Mm. It's not just that, okay, African-Americans are a minority percentage wise in the United States. It's that historically they have been, we have been systematically discriminated against. And so these kinds of, of incidents where two years in a row and 40 total nominations, zero African-American or black actors, you got to think about the context that goes with America and race in all of this. And sometimes so, it's so, there, sometimes it's not. But but you can't simply say that it, it, it's merely an issue of numbers because that's never been the case when it comes to uh, the United States and people of different skin colors. Jamar, what's, what, what do you think is the solution? Is it that we pull back and just do the image awards? Um, is, it, is it that people of color create all of their own representations. I mean, Gabrielle Union was talking about the different representations of awards that are seen throughout all of pop culture. So you have the Country Music Awards. Um, you have awards that speak to specific uh, parts of culture. Then you have things like the BET Awards, the NAACP Image Awards. Is it that we pull back and simply celebrate what we have from, you know, it's kind of that age-old conversation. Why are we begging for acceptance why are, we, why are we sitting here asking for people to affirm us? And in the same way, I guess we can tie this in with the evangelical world. Why are we, 
Are we are we begging to get on these panels? Are we begging to get on the speakers list on these conferences? Are we begging to get recognized as canon in seminaries? Why don't we just do our own? Man, uh, that's a whole episode in and of itself. I may be a little bit out of the mainstream in that I think there is still space for uh, ethnic-specific groupings. For instance, the Reformed African American Network. Uh, One of the reasons why I think RAN is necessary is because uh, the core concerns of African Americans are not as well represented uh, on some of the the higher traffic sites or outlets. And again, that's not on purpose. I know all of these folks in in this very small slice of you know Christian blogging. I'm very familiar with a lot of the personalities. They're great people. But if their constituents are mainly white and coming from a certain, you know, background, they're obviously going to address the concerns that that are on their radar. And so I think a an outlet like Ran is necessary so we can have conversations like this on past the mic so we can and so I can write an article like Evangelical So White uh, with without fear of the same kind of response or misunderstanding as I would get on a different site that has a dis- different constituency. I think that even goes for churches, which is very controversial. I mean, I attend a multi-ethnic church. I'm all about planting multi-ethnic churches, but at the same time, I'm not going to tell a church that's predominantly black, you need to integrate. Uh, because of the right. history and the context there. I think there's still a need for it, especially for some of our older saints who have been through things that we can't even imagine. And so to have a space, a, a sacred space uh, to worship where where you do feel that dignity, where you are recognized for your humanity, is a time of healing. And um, I think what can happen is they can integrate, but it still has to be, you know, sort of... Uh, in terms of its cultural expression, uh, familiar um, from an African-American traditional church perspective for it to still serve that function. So I'm for both, um, and I still see a need for ethnic-specific kinds of groupings. You know, if you look at the entertainment world, something like the BET Awards, I think there's a place for those kinds of things, although I don't like BET, but, you know, get, you get what I yeah, say. Yeah, they just got to get better, you know? Yeah, get, get like, better. Maybe the Image Awards or something, the Alma Awards. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to say, you know, I want to give a shout out to BJ Thompson and, and, and Adam Thomason, who yeah. have come up with this this term, and they've been pushing it pretty hard on social media and also in some web conversations that they've had. I'd love to have them on the show to talk about this. But this idea of progressed evangelicalism, which is claiming and reclaiming um, the social justice aspect without losing the orthodox Christian tenets. Right. And, and part of that is expanding some of the people who are recognized as canon within the evangelical world, that it shouldn't just be the, the Calvins and the Luthers and the Zwingli's, but also should be the Frederick Douglasses and, you know, the Lemuel Haynes and, and people like that who also maybe may not be at the forefront of our mind when we think of an evangelical or when we think of someone who has accomplished something that has impacted the church at large, but they've contributed in really powerful ways that just may not be publicized or may not be as popular as maybe other outlets have and other people's voices have. So so I think maybe expanding what we know is evangelical, because if we think about it, you know, the person that we think of, if we think about evangelicalism, it's going to vary depending on your culture, depending on where you grew up, depending on you know who poured into your life, who discipled you. 
And I think exercising some of that agency to say, hey, let's include these people within the the evangelical world without feeling like we have to beg. We're just going to reference them. You know, we're just going to take these people and tell you this is somebody you should read. This is a sermon you should hear and not feeling like we have to get permission from maybe the, the, the gatekeepers of certain areas, you know, that conversation that we have with, with Dr. Eric Mason, right? This, this idea that we're comfortable in our own skin, we're comfortable to, to be who we are and to reference who we reference without negating those who are gatekeepers and who have paved the way, but recognizing that, that some paths are, are, are more the road less traveled than others, right? Some people have paved off the beaten path, so. Amen, bro. I'm going to catch that train. <laughs> Can I say one last thing about the uh, Oscar situation? Please do. Great discussion and great kind of application as pulled into the evangelical word, world, which of course was the the focus, Jamar, of your of your article. But at the same time, in terms of solutions, so to speak, it's not a one for one, and I think sure, that's important. Yeah. I mean, ministry at, at, at its core, having kind of. Uh, ethnic specific ministry is this idea of, you know, speaking, as you said, to the core concerns of a specific ethnic group that do not necessarily get highlighted in something that is meant intended to be broader, but ultimately primarily more white. Uh, but, but the goal of all of these things comes to a common ground in a level playing field because it's all pointing towards Christ with something like Hollywood or the entertainment industry, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a business, you're looking at a corporate structure, you're looking at, you know, there are levels there. And I think that if you have, you know, fringe awards, so to speak in the Oscars or fringe, you know, whatever it is, it will always be at its base, a sub something. And I think that that's actually long-term more detrimental. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a hairy broken leg. Yeah. It's not going to heal anything, but when you rip it off, it's going to hurt like crazy. I understand, you know, especially the correlation with the black church and to some extent BET, at least in terms of kind of the origins for it. Right. Origins. But I, I, well, but at the same time, I do, I do see, you know, at this, at this stage of the game, I, I you know, Su- suffer with us, man. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's a well, good point. Well, I mean, that's yeah. why we're still at the table, right? That's right. why I haven't left right, right. a Presbyterian denomination that has, you know, a, a, a staggeringly small minority, because I think, especially when you talk about the gospel, the goal is unity in the midst of diversity, and it will not work if everyone sort of goes to their own corners. Sure. We, we, we have to have people who are willing to uh, take on the costs of going being a minority in a majority setting, um, even if it's a church. And so I think all of us, uh, I know Tyler's on, on, on that page, I know I am, and, and so many of our contributors are. I'm simply saying that uh, for the outlets that are currently um, ethnic-specific for minorities, I'm not going to go and bust those up. Right, right. yeah, I think, I think that's the point I would make. You know, that there, there do have to be, and Duquan was bringing this up recently on, on Facebook, you should friend him if you haven't already. But he was talking about how we have prophets who are who are calling people to repent and lament when it comes to the issues of of bias and racism that are entrenched within the American society. But we also need bridge builders as priests. You know, we need priests to come together and to to build bridges and to patiently work through, you know, the 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 issues and the struggles and the and leap over some of the obstacles. And maybe bust through some of those walls. Otherwise, nothing gets changed. Now, I I don't I don't believe in you know retreating into kind of a silo and basically saying this is us, that's y'all, 
and then whatever. You know, I don't think that's the call of the gospel. But but I do believe, like Jamar was saying, that I wouldn't necessarily go and try to set those other things that have been done, those natural silos, organic silos, so mm-hmm. to speak, that mm-hmm. have been created. I wouldn't try to set those on fire and, and call them worthless and call them not the expression of the gospel. Which is not what if I was saying, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, I know. I know. I just I, I did want to say that right on. In, just in um, enhancing what Jamar is saying. And I'm not saying when we say silos, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, this is only a black church and nobody right. can come in. Because I think if you haven't heard some of our previous podcasts, you may not have context. context. What I mean is just naturally assimilated into one church body not re- rejecting people, not saying they can't come in, but naturally as we congregate, that's just who we attract. We attract people who looked like us. And um, can I so say I, like, I did want to make that distinction. I'm sorry. I know it's long. Can I say one more point on that? Nah, man, let's just go, man. Let's All go. right. So, so for minorities in, uh, you know, predominantly white settings, it is vital that we have some moments and some spaces where we can be around just us. And, and by us, I mean people who get it. So that could actually be a mixed race, mixed ethnic group, but where you feel like you don't have to have your shield up, where you don't have to have the armor on, where you don't have to have this constant filter over what you say because you're afraid you're going to offend someone in the majority. The I have seen so many African-American seminarians, college students, church planters, you name it, burn out because they had zero sort of outlet with uh, peers who could understand their cultural perspective. And so they just were constantly feeling like uh, they were being excluded and pushed out and devalued, uh, not intentionally most times, but if you don't have that space, which is why I commend you know, RTS in Jackson, because we have the African-American Leadership Initiative, which, by the way, is extremely ethnically diverse. It's even internationally focused. we got people from several different continents, but it's a space where we can talk openly and frankly about race, where we built a foundation on the gospel, and there are certain things that we can assume in terms of our understanding, and having those opportunities to get together with like-minded individuals as a minority in a predominantly white setting is, is, is survival. I mean, it's 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 difference between survival and you know dropping out in a lot of cases. So even at a church, I would say don't be afraid if the black people are all talking after the church service. It's okay. It is life giving, right. and what it does is it empowers you then to go back out among the majority and be a minority more confidently and and with more health. I mean, that's really past the mic, right? I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We we speak very freely here. I think intentionally. Not because we're we're trying to be careless or reckless with our words or that we're trying to, to portray some slanted agenda, but mainly because it's it's cathartic for us to speak as we would. I mean, this is how we would speak. This is how we did speak when we were in Jackson together. You know, when we were talking, we were out eating. This is just how we speak. This is how we talk. We talk openly together and it's a shared experience. And when you have people like Bo and others who are who have come on the show and been such strategic bridge builders for us and allowed us to have that place to to be open and honest while at the same time checking us, you know, challenging us and allowing us to challenge them. I think that's when you see the body of Christ at work. Thanks for uh, for letting me jump on the bridge today. 
appreciate it, man. Thank you. It Thank you, brother. We always love your thoughts, man. Well, guys, it we have so much more to talk about, but that's going to be the extent of our podcast for today. Listen, we again want you to subscribe to us on iTunes and the Satchel app as well. Um, we also want you to follow us online at Rand Network uh, on Twitter and at underscore pass the mic as well. Um, you can also follow us, like us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash reformed African Americans. Visit our website, randnetwork.org. There are so many great articles. If you missed the, the episode, I believe it was two episodes ago, we ran through some of the articles and some of the diversity of opinions that you're going to get at Rand. So many great contributors. The team over there is doing a phenomenal job. So go check them out, shout them out, tweet the links and comment on the stories and send all your hate mail to Bo. What's your address? What's your email address? I'm kidding. You can find but, I'm, I'm Look, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm never, I'm never going to be allowed to jump on the show you. again. That's why I said you. <laughs> At the real Bo York on Twitter. Let me, let me have it. I'm fine. <laughs> well, Jamar, thank you so much for joining us, man. Always appreciate your opinions. And uh, I think this was a great conversation. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com.